to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Again, welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. It's a joy to be in worship with you this morning. I don't know if you know this, but every Friday I send out a weekly update that includes all the kind of upcoming events and ministry opportunities that are coming up on the church calendar. It's probably the best way that we try to communicate with the congregation across all the ministries. If you're not signed up for that, you might want to do that. You can go to roswellpress.org, sign up for it. It'll be in your inbox every Friday. I do want you to know that there's a couples event coming up at Emily and Brandon Smith's house. It's going to be a great time. There's a parents or young children's play date here out on the playground. So if you're not subscribed, go do that. You can hear about all the great ministries that are happening here at RPC. We're also doing our Closing the Distance conversation. It's kind of an interview, usually about the theme of the previous day's uh, sermon topic. And we're doing those now. They're published not on Mondays anymore, but on Tuesdays at noon. They'll be on Facebook Live. And then wherever you find podcasts, you can find them there. Today we continue our, sermons, our summer sermon series, Animated. We're looking at passages from the book of Proverbs, this great wisdom book from the Bible, and we've paired each sermon along with a Disney movie. And today's passage comes from Proverbs 3. I've lengthened it a little bit. It's going to be Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 4, and I've paired it with the movie Beauty and the Beast. So let's open our hearts, our minds, and our ears to hear the word of the Lord. My child, do not forget my teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and abundant welfare they will give you. Do not let loyalty and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and of people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious, loving God, we ask in the next few moments, you might be our teacher, that you, by your Spirit, might speak a word to our hearts that only you can speak. You might teach us how we can live wise lives to the flourishing of ourselves, our community, our world that you so desperately love. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Are you the beauty or are you the beast? If I had to guess, I think most of us have gone through times in our, our lives where we felt like each. I feel ugly. Will anyone ever love me? I feel like an unlovable beast. Or, these jeans look good on me. I'm really feeling myself. What a beauty in the mirror. <laughs> Sometimes you're the beauty, and sometimes you're the beast. In the Beauty and the Beast, I think we can identify with these characters because they wrestle with an issue that is common to all of us. There are times we feel beautiful, attractive. There are times we feel ugly, 
repugnant. This is probably one reason that the 1991 cartoon version of Beauty and the Beast did a box office of $440 million. In 2017, the live-action version did a worldwide box office of $1.2 billion. There are a lot of beauties and a lot of beasts out there. The story begins with an old beggar woman coming to the door of a castle looking for shelter. The prince who lives there is selfish, arrogant, and mean. The beggar woman offers him a rose in exchange for shelter. The young prince refuses to let her come in. The old woman asks him again and again, and yet the prince continues to refuse to let her come in. The reason he gives for his inhospitality, his ungenerous act, and understanding this point is key to understanding the moral of the story, is that he is repulsed by her appearance. He thinks she's unattractive, unlovable. But then suddenly the old beggar woman turns into a beautiful enchantress. And then the prince, of course, changes his tune. He tries to apologize, but the enchantress rejects his apology because she says there is no love in his heart. She puts a curse on him, turns him into a beast, and she declares that he will remain a beast until the age of 21, which is symbolized by petals falling from the bloom of a magic rose. And the only way that he can return to being a prince is if he learns to love another person by the time he's 21. And that is where the adventure of beauty and the beast begins. How does one learn to love another person? How does one learn to give and receive love? The book of Proverbs and the whole Bible, for that matter, says that learning to love is an essential part of living a wise life. If you want to live wisely, if you want to flourish in your life, you better learn how to love. And we usually learn to love by being loved first. In our passage today, the teacher tells his young student, my child, do not forget my teaching, but let your, your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and abundant welfare, they will give you. And then the teacher goes on to say this, do not let loyalty and faithfulness forsake you. That's the NRSV version. The New International Version translates the, translates the line, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Now, the word that the NRSV translates loyalty and that the NIV translates as love is maybe the most important Hebrew word in the Old Testament. The Hebrew word is hesed. Hesed. It can be translated either loyalty or love, but it's really a combination of the two concepts. English doesn't do a very good job because even the, the meaning goes deeper than that. Some translations use the word loving kindness for hesed. 
But hesed is a love that goes beyond what is expected. Hesed is a, a tenacious kind of love. Hesed is gritty. It's willing to go through tough times with the beloved. There's a stick to with hesed. Unfortunately, we don't have a great word in English to use for hesed. In fact, I came across in the Orthodox Jewish Bible in English, they don't even try to translate the word. They just use the Hebrew word hesed, saying you're going to have to read all of the Old Testament, all those narratives to understand what the word hesed means. Part of the problem is that in our, our culture, the concept of love is a flimsy one. One day you can tell someone you love them, and the next day you're on to the next lover. Take, for instance, The Bachelor. <laughs> for over 20 years, The Bachelor has been must-see must TV for many people of my generation. When it first came out, and this is a true story, when it first came out, some friends and I probably did what was not the most masculine thing in the world. We had a bachelor night where we watched The Bachelor as bachelors. And while we were watching, we would play Scrabble, and then we tried to give some testosterone by drinking PBR at the same time. <laughs> at its high point, the finale for The Bachelor had 25 million viewers. To give you a comparison, game five of the NBA Finals this year had half that. If you've never seen the show, it has a bachelor go through a system of elimination with women, and finally they come down to two finalists, and he's supposed to decide between the two who he's going to become engaged to, who he falls in love with. So I did a little research. I went through and I looked at how successful the show has been at partnering people in love. Season one, Michael did not propose to Marsh, but instead they entered into a relationship. Marsh and Michael broke up after several months. Season two, Aaron and Helene broke up after several weeks. Season three, Andrew and Jen broke up after several months. Season four, Bob did not propose to Estella, but she accepted a promise ring indicating that they would still date. They broke up shortly after the show aired. <laughs> Season five, Jesse did not propose to Jessica. They continued to date, but broke up several weeks later. I could go on. <laughs> From what I could find, over 27 seasons... There were a lot of bachelors who left that show as bachelors. There's an American proverb we have about this phenomenon. Love is fleeting. In America, probably the combination of consumer capitalism and Hollywood romanticism is how we come to believe love is fleeting. It's here one day and it's gone the next. This is not a biblical concept for love. Love is hesed. Hesed. The best way to understand hesed is narratively. 
If you take all of the Old Testament and watch God's constant, faithful, gracious love towards Israel and God's creation, you can summarize that love with the word hesed. Hesed is the kind of love that goes above and beyond what you would expect. The kind of love is more than skin deep. Maybe my favorite example of hesed in the Old Testament comes in the book of Hosea. Hosea is one of the minor prophets, so a lot of people don't read Hosea. The book basically recounts the worst marriage of all time. Hosea would have been a great candidate for The Bachelor. And the basic plot goes like this. God instructs Hosea to marry the prostitute Gomer. Hosea says, really, God? God says, yes, really. So Hosea marries Gomer. Not long after, Gomer is unfaithful to Hosea. God tells Hosea to continue to take Gomer back no matter what. And so, Hosea takes Gomer back again and again after her infidelities. This happens again and again. And at the very end of the book, God says, Look, Israel, see how it feels to be your God. For years, when I read that story, I would put myself in the place of Hosea. Jeez, he must have been so hurt, so betrayed. I can't believe he took her back and back. That, that kind of love, that's, I could never love like that. And one day I was preparing to preach on Hosea and I had a transformative insight. Said to myself, hold on a second. I don't think I'm supposed to be Hosea in the story. God is the Hosea figure. You are Gomer. I'm the one who is unfaithful, and yet God remains faithful despite my rebellion, my recalcitrance, my unfaithfulness. Hosea shows Gomer has said, just like God shows us has said a tenacious kind of love. True divine love goes beyond what we would expect. That's one of the things that makes it divine. True love sees deeper than appearances. When Disney decided how to portray Belle and Beauty and the Beast, they chose her, they chose to portray portray her in a way that Disney heroines were rarely portrayed up until that point. They broke many of the stereotypes about standard cartoon categories for beauty. She wasn't a blonde. She was a brunette. She wasn't all about her looks. She was a bookworm. She was studious. We might even call her a nerd. She loves to read stories about sword fights and magic spells typically the subjects that boys stereotypically like to read about. And when the town hunk, Gaston, assumes she will marry him, we see that she is not even remotely interested. Eventually, her love for the beast goes beyond what we would expect. And I believe one of the reasons people find this movie so compelling It's because we all want someone to love us like Belle loves 
the beast. We all want someone to love us fanatically, way beyond what we deserve. We want someone to love us even when we are a beast. I remember when my wife and I had just started dating. She told me that her mom was a huge Michigan Wolverines fan. Like growing up, my mother-in-law would take all, all four of her kids from a sports bar to sports bar, wherever the Michigan Alumni Association was gathering to watch the game. She would go to watch these games, whether they were having a good season or whether they were playing poorly. She would wear Michigan gear wherever she went. She was and is a fan. Courtney said something interesting to me. She said, you can't really trust anyone who isn't a fan of a team. You have to be wary of people who are unable to love fanatically, as only fans can. Being a fan, showing fanatic love, demonstrates an ability to love someone or something beyond what they deserve. I thought about that. I thought about that comment. And I, I've come to believe it's really true. Whether it's a sports team, a band, or an artist, a movement, but to have that kind of fanatical love, this meant I was in trouble because I grew up a Seattle Supersonics fan. And the Oklahoma City Thunder wrenched, stole the Sonics and took them to Oklahoma City and then changed their name. And I was devastated. So when Courtney and I got married, I kept that comment that she had made in the back of my mind. And I knew then I was going to be in the Atlanta area for a long time. So I made one of the most important decisions of my life. I decided to become a fan of the Atlanta Hawks, our NBA basketball team. I became a fan. I watch, I attend their games, I wear their gear. I even paid an extra $25 to have the Atlanta Hawks logo put on my license plate. <laughs> Want everybody to know. Now you might say, Jeff, they barely made the playoffs. Trey Young doesn't know how to play defense. You lost out on Luka Doncic. How can you root for them? And all I can say to you is I'm a fan. My love for them isn't contingent upon their performance. That's what it means to be a fan. I have a committed kind of love for my team. And I think we all want to love and to be loved like that. And it is my belief that that is how God loves us in Jesus Christ. God is a fan of ours, not in the sense of thinking human beings are perfect, no, with a, a hased kind of love, God's love goes beyond what we deserve. True love is tenacious. While I love the story of Bell falling in love with the beast, it's not my favorite story of royal love. My favorite story comes from the Danish philosopher and theologian Soren Kierkegaard. He once told a parable 
about how we could understand the radical and fantastical love that God has for us. He said, once upon a time, there was a king who fell in love with a poor young maid. The king, after many sleepless nights, wondered how he could possibly offer his love to her, to this poor maid, and know that she genuinely loved him in return. He knew he couldn't just show up as the king, resplendent in all his glory and power, and declare his love to her. For then he would never know if she truly loved him or simply loved him because he could offer her riches and power. He also considered disguising himself as a beggar, confessing his love to her. But he knew he couldn't do this, for if she fell in love with him as a beggar, she would be falling in love with the beggar and not actually with him. Eventually, he decided there was only one thing he could do. To show his love to her, he decided he must give away all of his riches. He must relinquish his power and actually become poor. He must become an actual beggar. He must give up the position and power of king. Only then could he know that she loved him for himself. And Soren Kierkegaard says that that's the kind of love God has for us. That God has taken off the royal, divine robes and taken the form of a frail human being to offer God's love to us. Not a love we deserve, but a gracious, tenacious, said kind of love. I'm reminded of that Johnny Cash lyric where he sings, God, help the beast in me. God can and God has loved us in Jesus Christ. That's true whether you feel like a beauty or a beast. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you have loved us in your son Jesus Christ with a hesed kind of love. And it's gracious, tenacious. I pray that we might receive that love in our hearts and then it might bubble up and flow into the lives of a world that desperately needs it. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.